Thank you for joining us for a life-changing message from Norm Oberlin, pastor of Mount Hope Church in beautiful Gaylord, Michigan. Our prayer is that this message will help strengthen and encourage your walk with Christ. Please enjoy. And now, here is Pastor Norm. I have been working on uh, a series. This will be, will be week three. Uh, we have been talking about why the church. I'll, obviously, we're all considered to be sheep. Jesus called us sheep. Uh, and that's better than being called a goat because the goats weren't. Anyway, you can go there and read that. How many like to be called a sheep? <laughs> yeah, all of us, yeah. So we're all sheep because we're a part of God's flock. And as part of his church, there are many things, many benefits that we get out of that. Like, for instance, the church is, say it, better together. You and I can't do everything God has for us to do unless we partner with each other. We partner with God, certainly, but we also partner with each other. That's the Lord's plan. And then there is power in unity. We read that throughout the Scripture. Wherever we're getting along, God is there. But where there's a church that has bitterness and hypocrisy and gossip and all those other things that we don't like to see, the Holy Spirit's not going to dwell in that place. And, and I would call that a dead church. I don't believe that we're there. I believe we're on the other side. We're better together and we are unified. And we have seen a lot of positive strides in that direction. So today, we are talking about the church. Why the church? Specifically, why the local church? Because Jesus sent the church, set the church, I'm sorry, in motion to carry out what? The Great Commission. We've talked about that already. And that you find in Matthew 28. Through His church, a multitude of sinners become saints. Wow. Are there more saints than sinners in here today? I'm not sure the way you guys are responding this morning. We are better together. We're stronger together. And here's the other part of this. We are a light set upon a hill. And this is something we can't ignore. We are a light set upon a hill. We are here to do the business of the Father. Jesus said, I came to carry out the Father's business. And then He called us to do the very same thing. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's the job of the church. Amen? So this week, we'll look at part three of this series. And it, the subtitle is... Where do I tell people to go? Now some of you are already going somewhere else. Because you shouldn't be there. Don't tell them to go there. You know? We're supposed to tell them to go to the good places, not the bad. Right? So how do we tell people where to go? And we're going to talk about that today. I wanted to start first with this. Uh, it's called the Invisible Church. And this was from Warren Wearsby, and he tells the story of a freelance missionary that visited a pastor friend asking him for financial support. What group are you associated with, his friend asked. The man replied, well, I belong to the Invisible Church. His friend then asked, well, what church are you a member of? And again, he got the answer, I belong to the Invisible Church. <laughs> 
Getting a bit suspicious, his friend asked, when does this invisible church meet? Who pastors it? The missionary then became incensed and he said, well, your church here isn't the true church. I belong to the invisible church. His friend replied, well then, here's some invisible money to help you with your invisible church. (laughs) The fact is, invisible churches don't work. Amen? We are supposed to be that light upon a hill. You are the light of the world, Jesus said. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. And he went on to say, we are the light to this world. The church is the light. That's how God destined us to become, and we are there today. People look to us for answers. At least, they hope to find answers when they look to us. That's what I'm going to talk about a little bit today. They need to know who we are. They need to know where to find us and whom we represent. Amen? Who do we represent? Jesus Christ, without exception. Jesus Christ, blood-bought, born again, each one of us. Without Jesus, we wouldn't be here today. They should also see our works, and our works should glorify ourselves. Everything we do should glorify God. The church is alive and well, in my opinion. Praise the Lord. How do we reflect our church, if we reflect it at all? That's a question I'm asking you to answer today. How do you reflect your church, if you reflect it at all? I love the scriptures that talk about King David. And, you know, it goes way back to the beginning when he was a young man. And From the time he was a boy until he died, the world knew David's God. Scripture is so clear on that. In In him we find, and what did God say about this man? David is a man after my own heart. So apparently David kind of knew what God wanted from a believer. David wrote half the Psalms, approximately. And in those Psalms, you, you see something I think is pretty cool. You see a raving fan. You like that? That's not David. Well, it could have been, I guess, but I don't think they had those number one things back then. David was a raving fan about his God, and he had good reason to be. His life was a personal testimony to how God calls, saves, protects, forgives, and resets one's life after a major catastrophe or calamity, after a major sin. You all know that David messed up, right? He committed adultery with his future wife Bathsheba, and then he murdered her husband in order to make that all happen. And of course, one would think, you're done, God's finished with you, no more, Uh uh-uh. But that's not the God we serve. We serve a God of amazing grace. David was not perfect, and I believe that's what the Lord wanted everyone to see. Through David's testimony, we find the example of fallen man versus God's empowering grace. Can anybody say hallelujah to that? We're all there, aren't we? So we know from Scripture that David was a blessed man. We also know that David had his share of problems. 
that he had to walk through. In fact, how many in this room today would say, you know, yeah, I'm going through some stuff. I'll raise at least one hand today. Yeah, stuff happens. Life happens. Things that we don't anticipate coming at us happen. But that doesn't mean that God isn't with us. It doesn't mean that God has left us astray. Rather, it means that he's right there with us, walking us through whatever it is he's challenged us or called us to go through. And through all of his problems, he wrote these psalms. And, and I wanted to read from Psalm 31:19. This is the New Living Testament. Here it shows us that David always relied on God. So I'm going to put that up behind me just for a minute. How great is the goodness you, God, have stored up for those who fear you. You lavish it on those who come to you for protection, blessing them before the watching world. I want you to see some things here. This verse shows us how God paraded David around before the world so that they could see what it means to be a sinner and to be loved by your God. David was showing the world what it meant to have a relationship with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. That's why God called him to be the man he was called to be. David was an example to the world of what it's like to serve the great I Am. How about you? Is your life a witness to a person serving the great I Am? Anyone who watched David would have drawn the conclusion that his strength came from the one and only. As people watch you and me, they should see the same thing. That our strength comes from Jesus Christ and Him alone. That brings me to today's message. Are you a raving fan? Is God your preeminent choice? Your fall-to guy. When life happens, do you fall on the floor like a puddle of jelly? Or do you get on your knees and say, Lord, I really need you today. Which one are you? As people watch you, who do they see? Do they see a Christian that truly believes? A church of the glorified God? Or do they see... Someone who's, eh, eh. You know what I mean? Some of you are, eh, Christians. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Got to figure out where I was at here. This may surprise you, but your life is telling people where to go. Your life is telling people where to go. Would you stand with me as we ask the Lord to bless this morning? Father God, we are so humbled to be here in your presence today. And as the pastor of this church, I just want to say, I can't do this without you, Lord. I humble myself today and I ask, challenge us. Challenge me, Lord. Not just the people that are hearing me, but challenge this man too because I'm not where I need to be. There are so many things I can change and improve on and, and help witness uh, the love of God and the power of God in this community. 
Lord, challenge us to be those people, those raving fans like David was, that no matter what comes at us, we're not going to stop serving you, but rather we're going to serve you even more because we love you and we love your people. And we've been called to be the light to this world. Now give us hearts to receive from you, Lord. Holy Spirit, even if I don't say it, speak to every man and woman in this room. Those that are listening online or watching the video, Lord, just bless them and give them ears to hear what you would say to them today. We commit the people of God into your hands, Lord, in the local church. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So how you live tells people where you are at. How you live tells people where they're going to go. I hope this connects with your spirit today. Your life is a living testimony. And it either says one of two things. It either says, I love my God and I have placed all my trust in Him. Whether I'm in a good or bad place, that place will always include my Lord. I hope this is where you fall. And knowing that you can't do anything without Him. That's choice number one. Choice number two is, your living testimony says to people, I recognize a need for God, but it's going to be on my terms, and I don't want Him bugging me all the time. Some of you were like this. I used to be like this. I just want Him to be available when I have a need. Otherwise, just stay off in the fringe of my life, because I'm going to do my own thing. Which one do you think the Lord wants us to be? Number one. So let me just conclude this thought with this. What you value, you will talk about. What you value, you will talk about. How many watched the Super Bowl last week? You know, I'm not a great football fan, as some of you realized when I called them the Steelers. And I figured out, I figured out why. Okay, Shane, this is why. There is a company here in town called Patriot Steel, and I got the Steelers part mixed up with the Patriot part. So anyway, that's my excuse, and I'm sticking with it. So if you were here last week, I misspoke, and it was the Patriots playing the Falcons, and of course, uh, some of you didn't care which way it went, and I might fall into that most of the time, but you know, I decided I was going to watch it, and what I saw were a bunch of crazy people who really, really were raving fans. Amen? They were crazy about football. Now, if you are a fan of the Patriots or the Falcons, most likely last week was your weekend, right? You would have, if someone had spoken to you for any length of time, they would have heard what coming out of your mouth? Football! Football! I love football! Gotta have football! Well, maybe snacks, too, because you got to have snacks with football. But anyway, so if people hung around you any length of time, they would realize that you were a raving fan. And, and many of you probably even have jerseys to represent your own special team, whatever that might be, right? It's, no one is going to wonder whether or not you are a football fan, especially around Super Bowl time. Now, how about your relationship with God? Do people even know that you love him? Based upon how you've lived so far this year, would the people in your circle of friends or co-workers or students or whoever they may be, would they even know that you're a Christian? 
That's good if they do. They should. Do they know that Jesus paid the price for you to be free? How many can say hallelujah to that? Where would we be without that freedom? If others watched you closely, would they see the Christ who is supposedly living in you? Would they see him? Would your living testimony, and here is kind of the key to what I'm saying today, would your living testimony cause others to yearn, that's an old word, but it's appropriate, to yearn for what you already have? You see, as a light to this lost and dying world, they need to see Christ living in us, and they need to see how it's changed us for the good, and that should bring them to a place where they say, hey, what is it that is different about you? How many have ever had that happen? You've had people come to you, and without knowing you're a Christian, they'd come to you and say, what's different about you? When I worked at Oldsmobile many years ago, it was a routine thing. After a conversation, it might have just been the fact that I didn't cuss anymore. You know, because God had, had delivered me from the potty mouth. I didn't need to talk like that. There's so many other English words to use. Right? And people would have a conversation, and I don't think it was always the, the mouth or, or how I spoke, but sometimes it was the glow. Do you know, because Jesus lives in you, there's a spirit living in you of Christ, and people see that spirit. Similar to how Moses came down from the mountain, and after he'd spent time with God, what did they say? They said, your face glows. I've seen people like that that have been in the presence of the Lord and immediately I knew, you've been with God, haven't you? People should see that in us. And it should cause them to yearn for what we have. In just a minute, I'm going to share a couple of scriptures that talk about a peace. A peace that only comes from the peace giver, Jesus. They should see that peace in us. If others watched you closely, will they see him? Will your living testimony cause others to want what you have? Or, and this one I dread, will they see a pretender? Too many pretenders on this planet. Don't be one. Be an imitator of Christ. Be real. Be truthful with people. If you blow it, admit it. It's not like everybody else doesn't already know that. And then go to God for forgiveness. None of us are perfect. We're all broken. But the point is, too many of us, we, we try to act like the Christian without being the Christian. And this doesn't work because people know hypocrisy when they see it. And that's one of the biggest indictments against the church today. You're all a bunch of hypocrites. Whatever. I get tired of hearing it. But this is why. There are too many pretenders. And I'm trying to challenge you today. By the end of this service, I hope that you realize that if this is you, if you're a pretender, stop being a pretender. It doesn't take that much to be genuine. It doesn't. How many have sold out to God and you are a genuine believer? Amen. Many hands going up. The Apostle Paul 
loved to clarify with his own life how believers were supposed to live, how the early church was supposed to live. And I believe it's appropriate for today. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 12. And I'd just like to read this. I'll put this up behind me. We can say with confidence and a clear conscience that we have lived with a God-given holiness and sincerity in all our dealings. Catch on to that part. In all our dealings. We have depended on God's grace, not our own human wisdom. This is a flaw in the church today. We don't depend on God. We depend on ourselves to get through this life. And that's a dangerous place to be. That's how, that is how we have conducted ourselves where? Before the world. And especially for you. So not only should we encourage the world, but we should always encourage each other by the way that we're living. That means we have to love each other, folks. You know, if I say something stupid or if I don't show up when you want me to show up for a a hospital visit because I'm sick, and this happened this last week, I felt so bad because we had a young couple in the church that were in the hospital, they had their baby, and uh, I couldn't go. I couldn't go with good conscience because I was... Still not feeling good. Pastor Barb caught the blessing. And she was not in any shape to go up. So I called our healing partners, and you guys went up, Tim and Kristen. God bless you for that. But people could get offended by this. Oh, why didn't Pastor Norm come up? You don't want him up here because he's sicker than a dog. That's why. My point is, too often... We get critical of each other and we begin to beat each other up for things that really don't mean anything. Little things that shouldn't, shouldn't empower us do. Did you see how she looked at me this morning? She didn't smile at me. Well, maybe, maybe she had had a fight with her husband on the way in and wasn't thinking about how beautiful your face was this morning. The problem is, though, we get so critical of each other. And we expect so much of each other, but when the shoe's on the other foot, uh uh-uh, man. Hey, I'm having a bad day. Just just don't judge me. Okay, let it go both ways. Right? That is good preaching. Hallelujah. So Paul lived for God. He didn't say one thing in the church and live another at home. He didn't serve God one way on Sunday and then run his business another way Monday through Saturday. Can I get a good amen to that for you business owners? He was committed to showing the world that he was saved by the grace of God and he owed everything he had to his Redeemer, Jesus Christ. He was extremely careful, and we need to be too, of the souls who are watching us. Because if we get to heaven and there are people that aren't there because of our witness... Who's going to be responsible for that one? We're not supposed to repel the unchurched by the way that we live our lives. We're supposed to invite them in. Hallelujah. Paul, he made it clear through his letters to the early church that the local church represented the body of Christ. The body of Christ. How people perceived Jesus was in direct correlation to how they watched the believers of that time. And the same, folks, is still true today.
They're watching us. They're watching you. They're watching you. That should cause you to be a little unnerved. They're watching you. Everything you say, everything you do. I get so mad at myself if I lose my temper when I'm riding behind someone. And I don't usually give them the number one. I won't say I never have. I probably did years ago. But even just my attitude, I I grieve when I get frustrated with people like that because it makes me realize I'm not there yet. I've still got stuff I'm working out. Like yesterday, coming into church, and I get behind Granny. And they weren't that old. 25 through the curves on Chris. I'm like, really? It took me 10 minutes longer to get to church because I get behind Slowpoke. And then I get into the straight and narrow and I pass them. You know how you do. You just kind of want to, yes, if that was you, I apologize. <laughs> and then immediately the Holy Spirit says, really? Really? Are you in that big a rush? Well, I was, but now that you speak of it, I probably shouldn't have been. We're all working this stuff out. People are watching us. Now, I don't have all the bumper stickers, follow me to Mount Hope Church, and, you know. (laughs) For that reason. I'm not trying to identify my sinfulness. But I also recognize that this is applicable in every aspect of our daily living. How we answer people on the phone. When we get those telemarketers that somehow got your number. You know, you just want to ream them out. It's like, you woke me up! Right? Am I the only one? Yeah, only you. Only me. So I try to be nice about it. Um... Thank you, but no thank you. Click. (laughs) I do it really fast. How we get along with each other or don't get along with each other either invites our community to our church or repels them. Hopefully it's not the latter. Do we pray for each other or do we badmouth each other? On your way home, do your kids hear you talking about the joker called Pastor Norm? What was he thinking today? I could have preached a better message than him. Is that what your children hear in the back seat? Because trust me, if they do, when their day comes and they have to sit under this man, if I'm still here, how are they going to ever receive anything from me? But the same is true about how you talk about your friends and your family. And your children sit in the back seat and they listen to that conversation. You know, if you've got something really pressing really pressing to say to one another, my advice would be get somewhere alone where your kids aren't hearing that talk. If it really has to be discussed. But if you can, somehow turn it into a positive. You know what I mean? Pray for them. 
if they're really bugging you that bad. What's that? Go to them. Yeah, do, do the, the Matthew 18 thing where you go to them and say, hey, you know, are you mad at me? Or, well, I'm mad at you if you aren't mad at me, but whatever it is, you know, have that conversation. Don't let it get into your craw and don't start telling other people so you can get 10 people on your side. That's just not how we do it. Do we call our brothers and sisters a bunch of dummies behind their back or do we show the world that we are family? We are family. We should bear one another's burdens as we love each other. And that means that we accept each other lock, stock, and barrel. Again, I go back to none of us in this room are perfect. If you ever find the perfect church, you won't be welcome there. And it won't be perfect after you join it. That's a fact, isn't it? I just want you to know that God loves us. That's a good thing. He accepts us just as we are, and then he says, now go and do the same. I'm going to share some scriptures to that end. Let's look at uh, Colossians chapter 3. I'm going to read verses 12 to 17, and I'll put that up behind me. Listen to what Paul exhorts the church to do. And, and this is something all of us can practice. Since God chose you to be the holy people He loves, what are we? Alright. You must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults. Did you catch that? What we're saying is, I know you're broken. Clarence, I know you're going to mess up. The day's coming. You haven't yet, man. You, you've been amazingly. You have been a gentleman, and you've been this, what Paul described here, kind and, and caring. And, but there's going to come a day, and, and when it does, and you blow me away, and I'm sitting here looking at you going, did Clarence really just say that to me? That's when I'm going to have to say, hey, you know what? I made room for this man. You're my brother still. It doesn't matter. When family messes with you, you don't just boot them out. You love them. Hey, let's work this out, whatever it takes. So Paul has given us some really good things here. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Because as you forgive, you will be forgiven. That's from God. So we want to do that. Remember, he goes on, the Lord forgave you, so you must what? That's right. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. So the church should be bound together in perfect love. That's the love of Christ, of course. And let the peace, here it comes, let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. You can't get peace aside from Christ. But in Christ, you can have all the peace you need. It doesn't matter what you're going through. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace. I don't want to spend a lot of time on this just to say, if there isn't peace in the church, there's something wrong. 
And we need to do whatever it takes to bring that peace back in. If there's strife in any church, and, and this message is not saying that we're going through all this stuff, all right? That's not why I'm delivering this. This message is saying this is maintenance. It's like you change your oil every five or 6,000 miles. This is part of church. We need to think about these things before we find ourselves there. And that's why I'm preaching it today. And then he says, always be thankful. And then the last part of this that I want to read, let the message about Christ in all its richness fill your lives. That's what everybody should see as they watch you. They should see Christ in you. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom that He gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus Christ. Did you catch that part? Read, read verse 17 with me. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus Christ. That should be our capstone. Whatever we do or say, do it as a follower of Jesus. And if we applied this to our lives, church, you know what? There's nothing the world could say to us to indict us. When we walk in unity, when the peace of God rules our heart, nothing can be said about us that's going to take us away from the call that's on our life. And I believe that with all my heart. And then he says, give thanks through him to God the Father. Be thankful. A church in love with each other is a winning church. Can you repeat that with me? A church in love with each other is a winning church. Are you in love with every person in this room? Or at least those who you've met? Or is there somebody here that you, your feathers are ruffled when you get around them? Make it right. I don't care what it takes. If there's somebody in this room or someone outside of this room that you're not getting along with, invite them to lunch, breakfast, dinner, have them over, whatever, but get it right. Because as you forgive them, so will you be forgiven. A church that forgives is a church that grows. Though we recognize we're all broken, amen? We recognize that. Yet the bonds of Christ hold us together. It's, it's not how awesome we are that keeps us here. It's the bond of Christ. He is the glue that holds this church together. It has nothing to do with you and me. Now, I hope you get along with most of the people in this church. I hope you get along with other Christians from other denominations, other churches. We should. That's what the world needs to see. Unity and peace. And listen to this part. It's what we say and do behind the scenes that says to the world, come to my church. Meet my family. You're going to love them. You're going to love them. It's what we do and it's what we say that's going to bring people in. Amen? I love my church. Can you say that? If you're new to this church, this is just part of who we are. We're real. 
I want every man and woman that considers himself to be a Christian, every young man and young woman that considers themselves to be a Christian, I want them to love each other. And God wants us to love each other. And this is what the world needs to see, a church that loves each other. Hallelujah. There's a little poem, and it's called, This is My Church. It was anonymous, so I can't give credit to anyone. And it's, it goes like this. This is my church. It is composed of people just like me. I will be friendly. It will be friendly if I am. It will do a great work if I work. It will make generous gifts to many causes if I am generous. It will bring others into its fellowship if I bring them. Its seats will be filled if I fill them. It will be a church of loyalty and love, of faith and service. If I who make it what it is am filled with these. Therefore, with God's help, I dedicate myself to the task of being all these things I want my church to be. What does your church look like? If you don't like it, change it. If you do like it, become a raving fan and tell others about it. Like David, show people that you're a raving fan about God, about Jesus Christ, and that your, your Super Bowl, if you will, happens every Sunday when we come together and we worship one of the brothers came in this morning and, and he said, man, I, I, I looked at him because he sent a prayer request and he goes, yeah, I, I've got to be in another place this morning. And I said, well, I thought you weren't going to be here. And he goes, no. He says, you know what? He says, I had to come in for worship. I couldn't go. He, I told my wife, I, I'm just going to run in. I'm going to go to church and, and go through worship so I can worship God and then I'll be home and I'll pick you up. That's real right there. That's real. That's a real Christian. Hallelujah. Let them know how crazy you are for Jesus and how awesome God's house is when you join it. Hallelujah. Did you know that Jesus left His house to us? Did you know that? There's a passage of Scripture, and I'm not going to put it up behind me, so just listen to it. Found in Mark chapter 13, verses 32 to 37. I'm actually reading from the ESV. Listen to what he said. But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard. Keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey. When he leaves home, where do he leave? He leaves home and he puts his servants in charge. He's talking about the church here. Alright? The church is his home and he's leaving it to us to, to take or be the servants of this church. Each with his own work, Jesus said, and he commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. So we're supposed to always be watching, making sure that people don't slip in and take us off of, off of the focus that we should have. That's why we need each other. The brother in the video earlier, he said we need each other to encourage each other and to pick each other up, especially if we fall into sin. 
That's why we're all so necessary for each other. Verse 35, therefore stay awake, for you do not know when the master of the house, of the what? Of the house will come. In the evening or at midnight or when the cock crows or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. The church is what Jesus is coming back for. There's a reason that he said, Peter, upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. There's a reason that each one of us have been called to this church. And it's not to play church, it's to be the church. It's not just to use the the flappy thing with the tongue and, and just talk about it. It's to be doers. Like Carrie said earlier, we're to be doers of the Word. I loved how that kind of fit right into this morning. One pastor broke this passage down into three parts, and then I'm going to close. First, his house. Jesus left us his house. The church belongs to Jesus, but he entrusts it to us. What do we do with it? How we treat it will determine our reward in the end. If the master returns and finds that servant has done a good job, there will be what? You'll be rewarded for it. Amen. That's good news. The second thing he leaves us is his authority. We are to live and serve in the authority of Jesus. And responsibility is always coupled with authority. We can't say it's not a responsibility, because it already is. If you're born again, then you're a part of the church, and that means he's left his house to you to serve it. And how you serve it is going to determine how you'll be rewarded and how people will perceive the local church. The scripture that I have here is Ephesians 1, 19-23. I pray that you will understand the incredible, incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe Him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead, seated Him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Now, He is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else, not only in this world, but also in the world to come. God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. church. That's you and me. In verse 23, and the church is his body. It is made full and complete by Christ who fills all things, everything in himself. That's his promise to us. He has given us all authority. What are we doing with it? The church should be exploding. But we have allowed it to hold us back. We have allowed the enemy to keep us from our best, even though we're stronger together, even though we're better together. Last but not least, he left us his work. Each servant has his work to do. We aren't responsible for someone else's work, but we certainly are responsible for ours. Can I get a good amen? A flaw in the church and a tactic that the enemy uses often 
is to get us to think that what God has called us to do, everyone else should do as well. Did you hear that? We are all wired differently, would you admit that? We don't all have the same heart for things. And this can cause real problems in the church if we're not careful. I wanted to use a couple examples. These people do not reflect anyone in real life, all right? The names have been changed to protect the innocent. Let's say example number one, Bonnie has a real passion for reaching the down and out. The homeless or the drug addicts. When others don't feel the same draw to those kinds of people as she does, Bonnie can begin to cop an attitude with the people who don't feel the same way she does. Bonnie has a real passion for reaching the lost, the down and out, but she doesn't get it while others aren't helping her and running with this same call that God has given her. If, if Bonnie isn't careful, bitterness can start to set in. And I've seen this happen. This isn't just something I'm making up. The Lord calls us to do what we have been called to do. The Lord calls us to do what we have been called to do. It isn't our job to point fingers at others because they aren't doing the same things that we're doing. It's not our job to point others out and to say, Ken, why aren't you doing this just like I'm doing this? I don't get it, man. Can't you, don't you have the same feel for these lost people? Don't you care? I'm judging you at that point, and that's not right, is it? It's not right. So Bonnie is wrong in this, and if she isn't careful, it can cause great harm to the body. It's not our job to judge others, and this is how a healthy church works. Example number two, Barney loves to worship the Lord. Any of you worshipers in here? Amen. Yeah? All right. His survival rests on the time that he spends loving God singing praises, and just worshiping in the Spirit. You might know people like this. But Barney notices that he is a special breed, and others don't seem to have the same passion for this special ministry as he does, this worshipful lifestyle, if you will. Barney begins to see himself as more special than others. After all, he alone spends hours with the Lord. He must be more special. But that kind of thinking can lead to certain death. Again, we are all made to do what we are made to do. That might sound silly, but it's true. To do something other than what you were made to do is like trying to fit a square peg into a round hole. It just won't fit. You can't be me, and I can't be you. All right? We're not to imitate each other. We're to imitate Christ. The God of the universe created each one of us to be individual. How he made you determines what he'll call you to do in his church. Did you hear that part? If we try to be someone we're not, we will fail. If we embrace who we are, and if we look for the place in the body that fits us, we will succeed, and gloriously so. That is what a healthy church looks like. A body of believers who find their passion that somehow complement how God made each one of us to be. I believe this, this is just a beautiful picture of how he knits us all together into the local body. He places each of us in the right place 
where we can use our gifts and our talents to glorify his most holy name. And all of this helps build his church, the local church. Our church, Mount Hope Church, or as we like to call it, the hope. The hope. This kind of local church draws the broken, the sinners, or at least it should. It draws them into His marvelous light. Our church, if it's truly healthy, it won't repel the unchurched, but it will draw them in. It will lure them. (laughs) I'm a fisherman. I know what it means to lure a fish. And there's nothing wrong with luring people to Christ. they got to figure out who he is eventually. So why not use whatever technique gets them there? If you feed them, they will come. Things like that, you know? (laughs) If you have a, 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 a Super Bowl party and you invite some unchurched people to it too and they can see how Christian men behave, at the end of that night they may be going, hmm, there's something different about you guys. Hey, is it alright if I bring my six pack? Absolutely, brother, but you know, we might not participate with you, but that's cool, you know. What? Did Pastor just say that? Hey, whatever it takes to get them in the door. You can get them cleaned later. You gotta catch them first. Besides that, it's not our job to clean them. It's the Holy Spirit's job. The local church is family. I hope you guys see this. I I hope you realize what this means. We have something. We have something together. We're family. And family loves each other. Family prays for each other. And yeah, you know, we may call each other out too because there have been times I've called my son out and said, hey, what are you doing? And there's times he's called me out and said, Dad, what are you doing? That hurts even more. I'm supposed to know all. But I don't. We all have our parts to play in the local church. Jesus left us his house. He gave us all authority so that we could carry out that responsibility. You have your work to do, and I have mine. Let us stay focused on what the Lord has given us to do. Let us not judge others for not doing what we're called to do, because that's none of our business. If you don't have enough workers, pray for them. Have God send you the right ones. Because if you get the wrong workers in there, it's not going to work anyway. Let the Holy Spirit work on those who haven't connected yet. And if we do our individual parts, the church will be strong, it will be united, and the world will desire to know more about us. Would you stand with me? You know, I don't know where everybody's at today. But I believe that the Lord set us on a hilltop so that they could find us. So that they could find a family where they too could be loved and and prayed for and uh, directed, guided. We believe the Bible is God's inerrant truth. We preach it. We live it. And if that sounds good to you, we'd love to have you be a part of this church if you're not already. 
I want to close today just by saying this. We all have a part. And many of you, as I look across this room, I know that you found your place. You're doing your part. That doesn't mean you're done. That just means that that's where you're at today. God may move you tomorrow to something different or He may add something to your plate. But I'm really talking about those who aren't yet involved. And, you know, this church cannot function without everyone being involved. And you're not going to grow into a healthy believer if you're not serving. Jesus said, I was called not to be served, but to serve. And as my follower, you must do the same. Those who want to be the greatest in the kingdom of God must learn to serve. It's a prerequisite. It's not a suggestion. It's a command. You need to serve. And there's so many things in this church. We have missions things coming. We have, please be here Wednesday. You know what? Even if you came Wednesday night and you led one person to the Lord in the next year by coming to this class and just, it just gives you the confidence to know how to say to somebody, this is what God did with me. Now, I'd like to pray with you. Would you like to receive Jesus? It is so simple, but we're afraid of it because we don't know how. Well, here's the how. Wednesday night, 7 p.m., right here. Don't miss it. I need all of you to be evangelists if we want to see this Latter-day Harvest come in. We pray you enjoyed this message from Pastor Norm Oberlin. If you would like to partner with Mount Hope Church, you can make your tax-deductible donation online at GaylorChurch.com. From there, just click on Give Online Now. Thanks for listening. We can't wait to be with you again next week.